All right, so welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in tonight. This episode, we've got Mark Langley. He's all the way from Mudgee. Thanks for coming on, Mark. Thanks very much, Charlie. Thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, no problem at all. Well, I thought, um, you know, we haven't met before and, you know, you don't know me from a bar of soap, but I, you know, I've, I've got a broken foot at the moment. And so I've done a lot of time. I've been watching a lot of videos uh, online, uh, horse videos, don't let your imagination run wild there. And um, I came across this video on Facebook and it was it was one of your videos. You put it out in January and you're dealing with a horse at a clinic and it's, um, you know, it's come to the clinic as being, you know, quite aggressive and, and pushy for the owner. And um, I thought, oh, I'll have a watch of that. You know, that that's a pretty common uh, thing. Maybe not so much the aggression, but definitely the pushiness and, and I, I was, yeah, sort of a few minutes in, I went, well, this approach is a bit different um, than what I'd seen. And, you know, I watch a lot of people always, always um, watching other people's techniques. And you sort of, um, if the horse came into your space, you'd sort of get startled and, and do this. I don't know how to describe it. Like, it looked like a bit of a, you know, like you'd seen a ghost, really. You get your hands would get up in the air and just shake it all about and your feet would, you know, jump around in the sand as if you really were scared and um, the horse would really pay attention and sort of step back out of your space. And then you sort of work through this process um, of sort of teaching the horse to understand your, your, your space and where its place should be just in a very, um, uh, without a lot of pressure, um, you know, and I thought I got to talk to this guy because then I watched a few more videos. I got to talk to this guy and find a bit more about, you know, how he's figured these things out and, um, you know, obviously, you know, where, where people can go and learn a bit more about you and, and about where, um, you know, what you're putting out there uh, in the world. So, again, thanks again for coming on. And, yeah, like, let's get into that video. Like, that's you know, a bit different than most other, you know, horsemanship people out there. Where did that idea come about? Well, I guess for over, you know, all... The best part of my clinic life, which has been sort of probably between 10 and 12 years now, but probably since I was about 26, um, I was toying with the idea of, you know, there was a saying that I got out of a Mark Rashid book. Well, I, after I read a Mark Rashid book, I, um, the, not necessarily the saying, but um, there's a meaning I got out of it. And it was, if you push your horse away, they'll soon know where you want them. Um, and I took that quite sort of on board because it was what I wanted at the time. But just going back before I get into that, I guess just, just going back to the video that sort of caught your eye on um, on Facebook. Um, that particular horse, he was he was kind of like he, I don't believe he was potty raised, but he was raised around people, so he was so quiet around people mm. in a sense. He he basically had no fear of anything around people. Um, and because of the, the, the original tactics, I guess, that they were using to try and um, guide him and direct him uh, in groundwork and things, and also um, when he started to get pushy and invasive, was always kind of them pushing themselves onto him and pushing energy into him. Mm. And so he wasn't like, I had a few comments on that saying he's not aggressive, and I go, and, and, and really he, he wasn't an aggressive horse, but he was aggressive as soon as you had any intention towards him. Mm. Um, and, and when he arrived at the clinic, he was, he, was, he was off the radar in the sense that, you know, 
not knowing where he was and and that part of the video he'd settled a little bit but I guess what you were talking about that was more of an electric bubble Mm. Um, and I got probably quite big with my electric bubble with him in particular because he was not scared so it he needed to a lot of awareness without feeling that I'm going to dominate him or push him down a pecking order Mm. and so he's he's sort of by creating all that awareness he got hyper you know quite focused on me but quite curious as you saw his curiosity started to go well what is this bloke all about and and then from there he became very centered and calm and then we could start to direct him but um but the whole idea was like just to sort of make him aware without feeling like he's going to get chased off or pushed down the pecking order Mm. because that sort of approach in horses like him can create a lot of aggression Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I know myself, I've made the mistake of going in with too much uh, pressure to a horse that was a bit aggressive. And uh, this, you know, I'd misread the situation uh, and the thing promptly chased me out of the round yard um, and, you know, re- had to rethink the approach and, you know, rack my brains a little bit. And, and but yeah, like if I had, like that was that that's just going to get you into a fight with those sort of horses, isn't it? And we probably, you know, we all make those mistakes and that's how we learn. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I've made like, the, the funny thing is, is when people do a workshop or something, I, I, they, they, I might show them a completely different approach that's different to the approach that they've used. Um, and, and sometimes you see the, 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 the expression of sort of confusion on their faces and sometimes mm. wondering why they should change their approach. And, um but i can say to them don't worry i've done it that way and i've Mm. I've, and 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 i've spent quite a few years i guess throwing away stuff that i felt was not beneficial and as i was creating new ideas to sort of you know educate and operate horses to make them feel better around us and i guess uh for you you know you've been uh teaching clinics all over the country you know give us like that sort of gives you little you know, you get a, a test tube or, a, you know, guinea, each clinic, you get a new set of horses, you know, and you get such a cross-section of horses all over the country, all different breeds, disciplines. And I guess you start to figure out things that probably work across all disciplines as opposed to what just works for a reigning horse or what just works for a, an endurance horse, for example. Tell us a little bit about um, how you found, you know, teaching such a broad variety of horses beneficial Oh, and people. It's been amazing. A broad variety of people. To, to be honest, yeah. Well, the, the, my, my, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I don't think I was prepared for the, such a steep learning curve. Um, so I'd done probably. I did about ten years taking on clients' horses and stuff um, before I started doing clinics, and then I started doing some clinics um, whilst I was still taking on horses. So. Um, and now I was getting all sorts of horses um, from from different disciplines and stuff, um, whether that was for starting or for re-education and education. Um, the steepest learning curve I had is when I started doing clinics because when I first ever did a proper, like I, I, like what I would call a proper, you know, clinic, which seemed to be like, you know, you get all these people and you go and do a weekend workshop somewhere else. Um, I thought to myself, Okay, when I get to Smoko on the first day and I run out of things to teach him, I wonder what I'm going to do. <laughs> and uh, and then I didn't realise that it, um, I'd spent the whole clinic 
teaching people to read between the lines of everything that they've already done and sort of think about how they applied it. Mm. Um, because I started to realize that all the approaches that they got taught, there was a lot of holes in it. Um, and yeah, basically they were missing so many pieces, but after the end of that particular clinic, after, after watching very closely what every horse and operator were doing and, and voicing what they were doing and then explaining to them how they do something differently, I got home and I went, geez, I've learned more about horses in the last two days than I've learned all my life of being around horses because it was mm. explaining and, and looking at all the details that they were doing and the horses were doing made me explain it whereas I've never really had to explain it to myself. Mm. And then suddenly I had little light bulb moments myself. And then from there, I sort of, um, I was so grateful to teach because it actually, because when someone says, when you've got 10 people and they all want you to improve them, you, you basically hone in as much as you can to every detail, not just the, you know, when, you know, mm. like yourself as a rider, you probably get used to riding a lot of horses and sometimes your ability takes over and you stop thinking about what you're doing. Mm. Absolutely. But when you're teaching, you're, you're honing into every detail to find out why it is or isn't working. And, and, and it was there that you, you stayed a lot sharper and focused. And, and, and then I saw realised that there were things that I was missing in, in my own writing and, and, and training through, through teaching other people. Yeah, absolutely. And um, how have you found, you know, dealing with, with people you know were you always good with people or have you found the more clinics you've done you've sort of been able to deal with people's expectations and anxiety um as um, you've gotten more experienced yeah well my my parents originally um were they my, my well my father in particular was uh he he was sort of into marketing and, and i'm far from marketing i actually sort of went the opposite way but he got very interested in tourism, so he left the city to buy a property, uh, run-down sheep station, and that's where I sort of was. grew up from 10 months old. And so he was dealing with people all the time, and, um, and I guess I grew up with a lot of adults around me, um, and, and, and we used to do long-distance horse trekking and stuff like that. So I was teaching adults as I was a, when I was a kid um, and talking to adults, and that, that, I must admit when I was a kid that helped me explain and and be able to sort of be in front of people and um, help them, I guess, um, on a semi-professional level, I suppose. So I, I think, though, I still suffer from certain anxieties around people. In my first few clinics, you know, or quite a few clinics, I couldn't eat breakfast or, you know, sick in the stomach before I taught. Um, I still, once I got going, I, I guess I, from a past of, of sort of doing that sort of thing, and, and, mm -hmm. and myself, I... I I sort of ran a Jackaroo Jillaroo school for a while and things like that where I was, you know, hosting and teaching and doing things like that, that it helped me step into the clinic side of it and be better, I must admit, be better at explaining and, and being around people and helping them learn. Yeah, you, you, we put a bit of pressure on ourselves when we're coaching, you know. I wouldn't, if I miss breakfast, there's something really wrong with me, but I have, um, geez, I was judging up in Toowoomba and, yeah, the anxiety of, you know, wanting to, get it all right it, wait, it can wake you up in the middle of the night you know it doesn't matter how experienced you are it can affect you you mentioned there um growing up on a sheep station i guess let's take a step back and find out a little bit more about yeah how you got into horses like just riding on the station um through your parents or through your was it just your father having the sheep station or yeah well that 
they bought a rundown sheep station but converted it into a horse riding place. Mm. Um, and then um, it wasn't till later on when I sort of left school that I went working on more stations. So though mm. I grew up on a property and was around stock and things like that uh, with the different properties around me, um, the primary business was um, was like a holiday type farm with mm, horse like riding a dude and ranch. Like that. And then and then later on, yeah, kind of like that. Um, but it wasn't later on till, and I got more interested in. So I guess I was more interested in maybe working on a property more so with sheep and cattle and horses. And then I did I did deviate and work on different places like that. And then when we set up our property, we sort of ran a few sheep and used to work on the neighbour's place and different things. But and um, but I guess I by the time I was sort of twenty five, I pretty well went full time taking on horses mm. um, and you know from from there up until now and so who taught you you know when you're a teenager like how to is that when you started breaking in for the um, for the trail horses or you know no, was it just dad, a bit of my, my 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 taking on horses to start started in my early 20s um, before that um, like I ran a horse riding business that I tried to start myself when I was about 19. Um, so I spent a lot of time riding and educating horses that came from the sales and stuff like that. So my dad used to buy horses from the sales and, you know, sometimes I'd be the one that rode them to see if they were okay, any good for anything and um, or dangerous. And so I was around a lot of uneducated and green horses, but I didn't really start starting horses till I was about 22 or 23. Um, so I'd worked in Scotland on managing horses on a horse place over there and went to a horsemanship place in America where I primarily did fencing over there to help mm. set up a new university. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't really till I got back actually that I started dabbling with more starting horses all the time. Mm. Um, but I'd spent all my life riding and educating horses, but never really starting a bunch of young horses because uh, we'd only ever buy horses that were already kind of technically started. And I think yeah. some of them were unstarted and we did start. Unbeknownst to me, I probably did get them started, but uh, more bet. of a rough way. And so did you, you know, you said you wanted to, um, you know, have a farm with some sheep and cattle and, you know, was that your dream? You know, did you have a dream of doing that or was it just like as you went along, you're like, I've just got to get a job yeah, and I've got to keep yeah. running horses? And I don't have a very big bucket list, actually. Um. I'm not, I, I don't sort of, when I was younger, I didn't look into the future too much. I just kind of, if something came up that interests me, I did it. If it didn't come up, I'd keep doing what I was doing. Mm. Um, I kind of didn't live too far into the future, which, um, but yeah, so I did once upon a time, I, I guess I, my idea was I, I think I'd just work on properties and stuff like that. Um, and then I always wanted to set up my own place. Like when I was a little kid, I, I you know, I can remember when one of your questions that you, when you sent through a little bit of stuff that you, you thought you might want to ask was, what was my dream of a job? And I remember when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a hermit. And the idea <laughs> of being a hermit and, and building my own house up in the hills somewhere was something I, 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 for some reason, I wanted to do for a fair few years as a kid. But um and then, sure enough, that's what we did in Glen Innes. We cut our trees down, we built a house, and we started our property there. And um, that, that was Jenny and I. And, mm. and then, um, yeah, we went into the. You now we're in Mudgy now, but. And so, how did you how did you meet your partner Jenny? Well, she she 
my my father, uh, the place that I worked years ago, uh, it, it, I ran the Jackaroo Dillaroo School there. It was down in, uh, in Tamworth at Nundle. And um, so I used to, years ago, work on the property and um, started my horse riding business there. And then some years later, I went back to run the Jackaroo Dillaroo School. But I used to do the hosting there too because they used to have like a, you know, a shearing demonstration and stuff. And, um, and some years later, I was... I was on a trip down to Sydney with my father and we stopped in and sort of tripped down memory lane and dad was talking to Jenny and um, said, I want you to come up to my place and, and, and you can work for your board and kick because they were traveling. She's from England. So, um, so I was in Queensland working at the time and came down one weekend and sure enough, they were staying there. And, and then that's how it sort of went, went from there. Yeah. Happy, happy days. And from that to, you know, building a log cabin in Glen Innes. Yeah. And then, and then now, yeah, Mudgy, but, but yeah. So she's the backbone of the business, really. Jenny's um, basically, I just kind of turn up mm. <laughs> and everything else go happens. For. Yeah. I just turn up and uh, do, do my thing. But Jenny, Jenny does all the organizing, everything, um, the advertising, you know, she, she does mm. a lot of the, the web design and, Stuff like that, though we have to outsource it for, for their all, their professional abilities. She 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 does 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 all that mostly herself, um, which is great because we can sort of um, um, refresh things all the time, constantly, without having to getting in that you know contractors in to do that. Mm. Um, but also we've got two, and when I'm away on clinics, you know, there's the farm here. We we've only not got a big property, but we've got 285 acres with, with cattle on it, and and our other horses here. So there's plenty to keep her busy while i'm traveling yeah yeah absolutely and um and does she does she ride as well or you know it's just a bit too busy with things at the yeah, moment not, not, no she rode a bit when i when when we met and we used to ride a bit but since kids and that i think she sort of it's not like it's a driving passion for her so mm. she doesn't really you know get out and say i want to go riding um so but there is an inkling in it that maybe get back out and do a little bit more again with horses, but it's not a, yeah. a, a driving passion. But she loves the she loves horses. She loves being out yeah. with um she loves mine, she loves animals basically. Jen, Jenny's, you know, animals to her, any animal. Um and I think it's part of her influence. It's really helped me soften and become, I guess, more compassionate all around with with dealing with horses as well. And so tell me a bit more about um, how you how your business runs um, and because you mentioned Jenny's quite involved and when we were lining this up you know I dealt with Jenny and, and she was really efficient you know when I contacted the Facebook page um, you know she was right on top of that so obviously she, she manages that um, and you know helping you grow your profile to you know um, increase the reach of your clinics and, and tell us a bit more about the clinics and the video content that you put out. Yeah. Okay. So, um, originally it was just taking on horses. Then, then, then it was clinics and, and horses, and and now it's full time clinics without taking on horses, um, because I, I just couldn't keep on top of mm. everything. And every new place to go, I, I create a new place to go. Which and and so so basically, um, it was our it was our business philosophy, or not not philosophy out where we we basically we said we don't want to take any more than 10 people per workshop, no matter how big mm. or, or small we are uh, in the long run, it's, it's capped at 10 people. And, um, and I just run as many clinics as I can per year, which, uh, yep. which we, we work out at the start of the year, 
or the year before we work out our clinic calendar and then advertise them. And then we also run our subscription, which is, um, which for me was, uh, was for me a little bit, um, for me a little bit hard originally um, because I, I was a bit wary about being online, having an online mm. presence and putting videos out to people I've never met or horses that I've never met. Mm. But, but after doing so many years at, at clinics, there's a lot of people who said, well, we can't come to a clinic, but we'd really love to learn your stuff because, you know, we're, we're doing this sort of horsemanship that's available, but it sounds like you're doing something a bit different. We'd, uh, you know, like some help. So I, I guess I got a bit more confidence and it was always Jenny's idea to add something like that to our business. And I guess I finally sort of said, well, okay, yeah, I, I think we can, we can do it as long as it's a helpful thing and it, it, it works in helping, you know, people and their horses. Um, but I was really scared that people take it the wrong way. Mm. Um, and as in, I don't want them to, to do something that I was doing with a particular horse here that mightn't suit their horse. And that's what I was really worried about. Yeah. You know, whereas when you're teaching people, you're right there with their horse and you're only applying what's needed for that horse. So. Oh, yes, yeah, Ben. You've been around enough people, yeah, to be a bit wary of, of the decisions they make um, with their horses. But no, I think it's it's good that you take that step. But like you said about having your presence online, how do you deal with um, those? There's always keyboard warriors, but that lady that commented on the video that we were talking about before saying, oh, well, that horse isn't aggressive, you know, how, how do you deal with those sort of people? Because they come up all the time. Um, I because i'm passionate about what i do and and i'm i i try and i i i basically every horse that i've worked i've really tried hard personally to to, to give it a better life um so when people start to sort of you know cut on the keyboard and they especially when they sort of take sort of low blows uh with no there's no real question in what i'm doing it's just real low blows you sort of go well hang on a minute you know, if you saw the horse at the start and you saw it at the end, the horse was um, probably, I think, the horse and human leaves enriched. Um, but so, so sometimes I, I find it hard because I do take it a little personally because I do try really hard to do the right thing. Um, mm. But I, when, when it comes to the negative comments every now and again that you get on someone that gets on, and I try and answer the people who are confused or they're trying to sort of say, oh, you know, I would do it like this, not like that. And I'll explain, you know, what I'm doing and, and try and sort of not just block them because I think, I think a bit of um, banter is good, especially you don't want everyone just saying, oh, that's great. You want someone to sort of question it. And so, but if, if people put legitimate questions up, I'm happy to, to answer and try and explain what I'm doing. But then the other ones that are just random, you know, almost like trolls or something on the mm. net, we, 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 it's hard to then they just got to, you know, but there's not too many. Actually, yeah. most of the videos, most of the comments come through are really positive. And, and people who watch the whole videos right front start yeah. to the end usually, you know, comment constructively. Yeah, well, that's, that's good to hear. Absolutely. People can have a short attention span and they hide behind um, the keyboard, you know, yeah. but if they, 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 they say things that they're not even going to say to your face, you know, if you were there in person, yeah. which... Um, is always frustrating, but that's definitely human nature online. 
Um, you, you're just saying there, you know, how you like to leave the the horse and the human enriched um, when they've when they've left the session. And I thought I'd ask you a bit about your philosophy with horses because I think that 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 vibe comes across a lot from talking to you and watching your videos. Yeah, so the philosophy, it's been an evolving philosophy, but ever since I've sort of started teaching, there was a few sayings that were, the, I guess, the core principles that became my quest of teaching and my, my I guess, my, my endeavour to teach people also to um, understand these principles. And, and so, so the first one, which I mentioned before, was if you push your horse away, they'll soon know where you want them. Mm. Uh, that, that's been something that has has been one of my driving things that have helped me change what I was doing and become a better horse person. Um, and 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 that saying, it was only a few things that I could apply it to at the start, but now I can realise how I can apply it to so much of my horse from from riding to groundwork. And then the other one, which which interlinks with this one. Um, it, it's you set boundaries you don't bring your boundaries to your horses um and that basically they're, they're entwined those two sayings and um because what i saw in horse training and horsemanship is a lot of time we're bringing our energy in and our boundary into our horses all the time and inevitably we're, we're pushing them around opposed to letting them sort of search and just find boundaries you know so sometimes i say to people you, you're trying to set it up so you just rearrange the furniture and the horse figures its way through um, opposed to shifting the furniture into them all the time. Mm. Um, and, and I guess those things have sort of set up a way of thinking in my, my way of training that sort of goes along those lines. And um, the other one that, and, and it was where I was going because I stopped, I, yeah, I was trying to get a horse um, not to constantly move away from us and feel like I was pushed down the pecking order because um, I, I guess I, I'm trying to say to people that this pecking order approach of horsemanship, which was commonly taught, like you move their feet around and you become the alpha and move them around. I, I'd always say it's, it's a faulted approach because um, the reason a horse can push another horse away is because they're out in a paddock uh, or in the wild or wherever they are. And the horse getting pushed away can go away. It doesn't have to come back. Mm. Uh, and that's why, that works but when we use it well, i try to say to people you're saying go away come back go away come back go away over there come back and 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 that's why there's a lot of really stressed horses out there because they they think that they you know, have to move away from us and our energies and then we say come back for some more yeah so I'm, I'm i'm really trying to sort of get people to understand that and that was a i guess a concept as i said earlier i got originally out of a mark rashid book mm. but it was kind of what i wanted to hear at that time you know when you're ready to hear things I was questioning what I learned in America and what I saw and there was things that didn't feel right. And then when I sort of read some words of someone else that seemed to have a bit of kudos, then obviously I got more confidence in, in myself. Mm. And from there, you know, and then later I, I met a fellow of Ross Jacobs who, who worked, uh, who one of his mentors was called Harry Whitney. And um, basically his whole philosophy was, you know, you're directing a horse's thought. And that was the kind of the piece that I needed because I was getting to a stage that I was seeing how driving pressure was influencing their thoughts and putting it in the wrong position. And then when he said it's about directing a horse's thought, I said, yeah, well, it, it pretty well is. It, it really made sense to me. 
mm-hmm. and it, it helped me put that extra piece in the puzzle to, to go where I was going with what I was already believing and thinking. Yeah. So, so now it's sort of, for me, I'm trying to teach people that we're trying to influence the horse's thought change, um, you know, and basically get them to tip their own worry out through, uh, I guess, following our guidance. Um, and instead of pressure being something that they're hunting, you know, a release from pressure, something that they're happy to follow, the yep. idea of pressure and the idea of feel. Yeah, follow the feel, not be a release hunter. Release hunter, yeah, you might have heard that one, yeah. yeah. The feel, follow the release hunter. Yeah. Actually, oh, Pat. I was talking to someone yesterday um, and and, and, I, and I was talking about, because she, she was also talking about how she's helped the horse with um, positive reinforcement. And I said, well, there's three sayings here. I said, you've got to be careful with negative reinforcement. You have to be careful with positive reinforcement either way. But so sometimes through positive um, reinforcement, you can create a reward hunter. Mm. Um, through negative reinforcement, um, you can um, create a release, uh, a release hunter. And somewhere there's a balance in there where you create a field follower. Mm. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and that's the one we want. That's we don't the want money. the release hunter. We don't want the reward hunter. We want the field follower. It's the gold mine. It's certainly certainly hard to find, and it's it's like getting a bit of a seesaw there. How what are some? How do you um, generally? How would you sort of um, change your horse's thought or change their focus? Well, it's pretty easy. It's sort of you know. Say for instance, like we all know the one, you know, when someone says, "Oh, you got to get your horse focused on you." So just just to start with a basic thing, you know, if you're working a horse and it was kind of off with the pixies and looking away, anxious, you know, separated, whatever it may be, um, you know, you could just bang your leg, and that horse's attention will come around mm-hmm. to you, and for a moment, while it, and and that bang your leg was so quick, like a lightning bolt that. By the time the horse is looking at you, the pressure's gone. You've got a smile on your face going, I'm having a good day. And the horse starts to go, oh, oh, that's – and every time the horse maybe gets distracted, you could you could, you could, could direct their thoughts back to you. Mm. And then the horse sees this pillar of strength that's worried about what's happening. And then they start to, to hone in on our feeling and start to centre with us more. So that's a, that's a simple influencing a horse's thought to come towards us or gaining their focus. But – I guess in a lot of training, people get too too caught up in keeping a horse's focus. So what they end up doing is have a horse that's hyper-focused on them and and then won't think away softly. So, mm. you know, so once you can get a horse to think towards you, then the next thing you want to do is get it to think away. So, you know, you can hold a lead rope and just keep a feel on it until the horse looks away somewhere. And then when it looks away, you just reward a little and then you get it to look back again and then you teach mm. it to look away. Just little things like that. That's That's... You know, so eventually when you pick up a left rein, the horse is, you know, more guaranteed to think left instead of sort of just kind of falling over to the left while it's still thinking to the right. So doing things um, a lot a lot slower and a lot softer in the beginning uh, with a lot less pressure so that later on um, their responses are a lot easier and a lot softer. Yeah, and, 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 and instead of going away from pressure or energy, a horse is moving towards its thoughts. So... Um, and, and um, you know, because a lot of horses are just focused on where the energy is coming from. 
and they're not actually thinking for themselves that we actually end up carrying them with our energy mm. whether it be our legs or our our language on the ground and stuff like that we start to carry them and then the horse is only ever focused on us and not really taking on its environment or its tasks that you've set out like you know you want a horse if you if you want a horse to go out on lunge for instance well, you want it to look out to go out before you get it to go back on that circle around you again. And, mm. and you want to know that you've made that decision to think away, go away, and then come back again onto that circle, not just yeah. look at you and kind of run out and around, look, keeping on looking at you. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess lately I've noticed just sort of thinking about that way a little bit with people. I see people working their horse around and, you know, the horse falls in and so they sort of go to whack it on the bum and put all this extra energy in, but the horse's nose is tipped a bit out to the outside and it sort of just goes, you know, off to the outside, turns the bum towards them and, you know, next thing you know, they're looking at the back end and and um, I sort of, it reminds me a bit when I talk to people about dressage, for example, if your horse is crooked, don't jam the spurs on and send it forward like you might a bit, can be a bit German, you'll just be going crooked faster um yeah and yeah and that's right that that getting getting the focus the thought is is critical you know i certainly am not i'm no expert at it yeah, but i like the sound of it well i guess i guess in i guess how it's applied in riding and everything is sometimes i'll spread the boundaries out a little further um so you know talking it doesn't matter what you know we talk about a horse you know, coming in between our legs and our reins or something in a dressage horse, you know, it doesn't matter what, what you're riding, you want that, you want that. So people try and make it happen. Mm. Uh, whereas the horse, uh, you know, there's a saying that I say to people is you don't want to ride crooked to make a horse go straight. Mm. And, and uh, you know, so, so you're riding a straight line. And if, say, for instance, you, you know, to give everyone, I guess, a picture of what I'm trying to say and is, you know, someone said, can you ride to the letter A? Okay, so you're focused on letter A and the horse is focused on its mates on to the left. Um, so it's pushing to the left. So we straighten ourselves in a way, depending on how you ride, you might have a leg on a certain way and a rein over here and another rein mm. blocking the horse. So you're all crooked just to get your horse to do a straight line. And I say, well, if you ride that crooked to do a straight line, how crooked are you going to have to get to do a right turn? Are you going to have to go double crooked? That's right, and 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 I and I think so. So so I guess what I try and say to people, I say the reins are for steering, the horses to find straight, mm. and 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 only ever use the reins to steer, never use them to straighten a horse, and and then they start to go, well, well, how, yeah, okay, well, if the horse turns over there, just turn it back a little, and if it turns over mm. there, turn it back, and eventually it'll find the center, yeah, and it start to come come with you, and and I think then you're not wearing out your aids and holding mm. the horses up. So like you were saying, you know, this leg on, like some people wear out the accelerator just trying to keep a horse in between their legs. Yeah, asking the horse to carry themselves, being self-carried. Yeah. You're encouraging them to get the right answer, but you're not going to hold the right answer in front of them every single, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's total common sense. Um, you mentioned Mark Rashid a couple of times and he's put out a few books. I've read... I think I read it in the journey of softness. So it was a couple of years ago now, but it was a, it was a really good book. And yeah, um, I've never he's, read it. He's got some. He's got um. People should look them up. What um? Are there any other books out there, or any other people that you sort of really look at for 
um, inspiration besides you, uh, Mark and Ross that you mentioned? Yeah, well, I not really because uh, I only read Mark's old books, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, they, 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 you know, and and I sort of so so I'm not aware of what Mark's teaching now or his latest books because I sort of guess I had a, I had a plenty plenty of horses to chew over and stuff that I guess I sort of figured out a way of applying some of that philosophy of, of not driving in that. Mm. Um, and then, but but a really good book which is full of little um. Uh, you know, it's a gold mine of little things. It's um, is 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 Ross Jakes's book, The Essence of Good Horsemanship. Mm-hmm. That's a really really good book. It's one you can sort of pick up on any chapter or uh, or page, nearly page. But um, and and it's just basically goes through his principles. Um, and as I said, you know, and and there's some books that I haven't read, but I would say that they're, they're a fellow that worked along with Harry Whitney, but he was um. I don't know if it's a journalist or a writer anyway, but but he started writing some books um, for Harry Whitney because Harry Whitney doesn't really write the books. He, he just sort of wrote some books about Harry and different things. Mm. And I believe that's a good book too. Um, and so Harry Whitney, he, he was ones, so. Harry was a mentor of Ross's. Where's where's Harry based yeah, well, his Ross, story? Ross, I think um, when I, 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 I met Ross at one of my clinics nine years ago. And um, had a yarn, and we sort of liked each other. But I also, before he came to the clinic, I uh, he he was just coming to fence it. But but I'd heard his name, and I I, I looked up some of his writings. Mm. But he talks about he's been visiting a trainer in America every year. He's become a close friend of his called Harry Whitney. Mm-hmm. And Harry Whitney, he he he's worked with the likes of Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt. But mm. he's he's um he's he's his own horseman in a sense. Um, he he's you know. If I, uh, he, he's 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 really, I mean, he's he's kind of one of the masters. I get guess when you watch him at influencing a horse, influencing mm. the horse's thought, and and you know I see him get on a someone's dressage horse, and you know you, he, when he rides a horse, he, he does play it like a twelve string guitar kind of thing. Mm. Um, but but yeah, so and so Ross Ross obviously we go out of there every year, and they become very good friends, and and I guess that sort of training came into Ross's training, and. Um, and yeah, but Ross wrote a really good book, which I think, I think it's just, it's not going to tell you how to do it, but I'll tell you what will teach you how to, you know, help you think about things. I saw, um, I haven't spoken to Ross. I have, I think I follow him on Facebook. I see a few posts of his pop up and, um, quite often, quite often there's a lot of good stuff in there. I saw one though that I liked. It was a bit of a sort of funny post of his and it said, if you believe, Nothing of what I say. You shouldn't be working with horses. And if you believe, you know, some of what I say, you know, it's probably a good thing. And if you believe everything I say, you're probably crazy because even I don't believe everything I say. Um, but no, definitely has yeah, a, yeah, have works works in that realm of um, attracting the thought and 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 being really soft with the horses. And and um, you know, I think that's important in in today's day and age. One, you know, obviously one we human safety is you know always the priority um but we have to look at you know the one the social we have to look at the social license um and the way things are going with society like we obviously want always want to do the the best job with our horses um but i guess it's even better if it is in a really um you know kind um and empathetic way yeah um 
it's so it's so important because there's so many horses that you know you meet that are just completely or you know, half shut down and just living this sort of fairly traumatic life, but they're very obedient, mm. and because the people feel safe, nothing changes. And and the hardest thing is when you sort of get one of those semi quiet horses, but you know the trauma that they're going through because uh, they're just sort of shutting down and, and they, they have all these other problems, whether it be stomach ulcers or whatever they're getting from, you know, different lamenesses or sorenesses from carrying brace all the time. Um, and, and getting people to identify that and, and trying to help them understand that. And the, I guess the hardest thing in the long run is when you open up one of those horses, you open up the gramblings and the bad feelings so then, then you've got the, the 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 expressive horse, which some people don't want to see that because mm. they don't they, they felt safe when their horse was kind of hidden away in this kind of shell, and mm. then they see the open horse, and then then but at least then they've got the horse that's telling them what's happening all the time, and then they can help that horse um, become a happy horse. But it's a it's it's a tough journey for that for for for, for, for the horse and the person. But, but just what you were saying before, um, the, the softness side of it, um, I think sometimes people think it's all about softness and it's not necessarily about softness. I think it's about clarity, like, because I've seen mm -hmm. some really soft people with really troubled horses. Yep. And just haven't applied the right clarity. So, so sometimes... Sometimes when a horse has got a really hard thought, like a really hard thought, and you know it's really troubling that horse, you have to be very effective at, 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 at being able to get that horse to let go of that mm. hard thought. And sometimes you might have to get bigger than that hard thought, as in, you know, the distraction may have to be bigger than mm. the what the horse will be thinking about. But once the horse can let go of those hard thoughts, then it becomes a happy, soft horse and, and everything's clear. Yeah. But when people are too soft, sometimes they never quite change a hard thought on a horse and, and it never gets any better. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense. It is, um, you see plenty of people, like, like you said, that are really soft people, but then there's no clarity. Yeah. What, um, I guess it goes back to that first video that, um, that you mentioned um oh sorry yep no no keep talking it's a bit what were you saying about the first video yeah we had a bit of a pause there for a second um that first video about the that you mentioned on facebook about the horse that was kind of where I did the electric bubble, you know, some people said, oh, that was, you know, I got quite big in that bubble, though I didn't get big towards the horse. But I guess my first thing was there to get big enough. And that, that you know, that may, though it wasn't directed and didn't make the horse um, feel like I was going to dominate it, but it was big enough mm. to tell that horse to let go of any ideas. Um, and, yeah, sometimes I think, People may find that a little difficult, but in order to have softness, yeah, it's important to get through that brace first. Mm. Absolutely. What uh, what advice would you have for any, um, let's say, some younger people out there listening in, or they see your clinics, you know, um, and they go, "Oh, I want to be a, you know, 
traveling clinician and online training business, uh, let's say, what would you give to a, a 20 advice to a 20 year old um, Mark, for example, uh, to find some success in that area? Oh, you mean someone who wants to sort of try this and do clinics and stuff like that? Yeah, what absolutely. Have? Um, get your hands dirty first. Mm. Um, there's going to be a lot of problems and a lot of questions that come up in if those questions don't come from a grassroots, somewhere grassroots inside you when you're young. Um, then, then you might be able to talk your way out of it, but you, you have to help that, that particular horse. And, and, mm. and I guess so I, I would say to young people, it's like there's a lot of people got into the clinic game and they've made a big name for themselves. But sometimes I see a lot of washed people coming away and not going back because the help wasn't there individually for them. Mm. Um, so get your hands dirty if you're young, get out there meet a few horses, watch a few horses, do whatever you can to get amongst wild horses, touchy horses, anything that gives you the raw horse that they can see raw horses, how they, mm. how they work around people, how they work around yards. So you, can, you, you know, you say, so you know how to step around a horse and you know where to step to take pressure off and you know, how they operate different horses operate different with their eyes and stuff. I always would, would like, like younger people to go out and try that because some, um, when I worked on a horsemanship ranch years ago, there was a lot of students that were doing a program to become instructors. And I believe some of those, they became instructors and started running workshops and they might've only had their hands on about two or three horses in the sense of horses that they'd trained. Mm -hmm. and, and if a tough question came up, they just had to go back to the program that they, they were taught. And so I, I think to myself, you have to be grassroots. You have to have, seen and felt horses yourself and enough to be able to even if you learnt off a mentor or someone who who you thought it gave you some good ideas you have to make a decision that you believe is right because that's the decision that that's mm. that that client has to make with their horse that student has to make with their horse one that they feel okay with so you have to be empathetic towards the person and the horse mm. you're not that you won't help the horse without helping the people. So you have to be, no matter how irate or angry the person might seem or how um, they might only started riding yesterday, doesn't matter because you can't help the horse without trying to make them feel good and help them feel better so they can help their horses. And then also be honest, you know, be honest to the person, to be honest to the horse, but your integrity I would say would be there to help the horse. We're there to help make them feel better first. Mm. And then business comes second. If you're working with animals, I believe, and people, the integrity of, of, of the horse and how they feel and the person is, is the primary thing. Business is, is, is second. And, and then yeah. you will have maybe a reason for business in this game, but it's a, it's a tough game because everyone thinks they can go and make a buck. Um, and I, I done years of clinics that I only get a few on a clinic till till now they're all full, you know, like mm. the waiting list is kind of big and, 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 you know, they sometimes fill up in the, in the first three months that they get put up. 10 years to be an overnight success, you know, but it's taken. Yeah. 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 So, it's, it's taken a while, but um, 
I see that a lot, um, you know, and I myself, the first clinic I gave, I, I think I was about 21. Oh, I was so out of my depth, you know, um, definitely. But that was just such a steep learning curve. Like you said, the first clinic you gave, you know, it was really eye-opening about how to train horses and being able to explain things more. And I see that a lot, you know, and I, I totally agree with that advice, you know, to younger people go out and yeah, get your hands dirty and expose yourself to a more of a variety of horses. So you've got that more of a depth of, of knowledge that makes such a difference. You know, would, what would you find, um, what would you say has been the hardest part of, of running a horse business or are there any other, you know, non-horsey obstacles you've had to overcome along the way? Oh, business is hard for me and that's why I like having Jenny on board because I've never been, I don't, I don't deal well with money. Even when I was contracting on the side, I used to, we used to do fencing contracting and stuff like that. And I'd always knock off an invoice money off it. And I'd always feel like I was charging too much. And, mm. um, so that was very hard for me as a person. And that's why I like just, I can turn off the business and go to work and um, not worry about what's going in or out. So that, that, that's always good. So that, that's been a bit of a challenge, you know, trying to put the two together Um you know, having a business that you're not trying to rip people off, you're still helping people, but you can still sort of, you know, survive and, and not just tread water all the time. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I think um, my, my biggest challenge was still in the horse business, but it was having clients' horses on my property that I was had to deal with all the time and all the little problems that come up, whether it be an injury or something like that, that was that was what I think I had the most trouble with. Um, now, now that I'm doing workshops, it's like it's their responsibility, not mine. So I think dealing with other people's horses was always harder than actually just training the horse. It was just having them there, and um, yeah, that was always a, a tricky one for me. So when I finally stopped taking on horses and just did workshops it was almost like a weight off my head it is the more horses you get the more problems you get you know i, I am having that at the, um those problems you know with over 40 horses in work and two farms you know staffing issues um fencing issues logistics issues horse issues you know you name it the weather the weather at the moment you know as you know um and it makes it makes sense, you know. You can focus on your craft a lot more um, without all yeah. those overheads. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, just just to ask, what you've got twenty horses in work? What's what's what are you what are you doing with the horses? Oh, so we've got. Um, so we break in uh, and pre-train race horses, and then we have a farm just for that. And then we also, we break in horses of um, all disciplines, you know, everything, Arabian, we've had Arabians, Frisians, warm bloods this year. And um, as well as the thoroughbreds, we don't do as many uh, just because, the, you know, the volume in the thoroughbred game is so big. And then my business partner and I do show jumping. So we have sort of um, four, about four of our own, three, three or four of our own horses that we ride to try and compete. And... Um, yeah, so we have a you know bunch of people working for us, and have another guy riding with us as well, who's a good competitor in his own right. So it helps with our equestrian background. Um, you know, one the you know the flat work, 
kind of thing to help the racehorses move better um, is really beneficial. And then also just that access to other equestrian riders, you know, that, that need a job and just can help help the horses uh, go better and travel better. Um, you know, there's not a lot we can do, you know, with the horses at, at the age that they're at, you know, um, but we can make it a bit easier for them and a, and a bit simpler and make them a bit more comfortable um, so that when they go into the racetrack, yeah. you know, it's, it's not as eye-opening for them. Yeah, I found that. I had a, a bit of a uh, – because once upon a time, I guess, the more you're going down a certain road helping troubled horses, the more people would question, oh, do you take on racehorses? And I used to say, yeah, I do take on racehorses because um, someone else is going to start them if I don't start them. And, um, and um, I'm not saying everyone in the racing industry doesn't have integrity, but there was a lot of horses that I heard go to get started and the, I think they were getting started only just to go on the track and their, their prep before the track wasn't. Um, I don't think it was good for the horse. I think it was mm. just good for the business. Mm. And, 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 and I, I, I had a theory that oh, I used to say to people, well, if I start that horse and it's a nice horse and it's sort of, okay in its mind and it and it feels good and it and it's fairly well educated the best that i could do it in the time i had it then that track rider likes that horse and that person that mucks out the stable likes that horse mm-hmm. and then the more people like that horse the more they treat it nice but if a horse goes to a, a stable uneducated or still challenged with all the mm-hmm. new things then the track rider comes in oh that horse that bloody thing it does this and then the mucking out the stable it jumps around going i don't like that horse then all of a sudden everyone treats it as a horse that they don't like Mm. and then it's whole life from there goes yeah absolutely and there are definitely um some people like that out there and you know the more uh, you know our business is relatively new in i used to just do it for myself and have done it for a long time but um this current business we got which is a bit bigger but it's only 18 months old. So the more the clients get to know us, you know, the sort of more they trust us and, and sort of listen to us. And, you know, one of the biggest things we try and get to for trainers to do is, you know, get the get your young horse broken in and chuck it back in the paddock for a few months and then send it back here. And this is, yeah, it's good for our business, but it's also, you know, this is a pretty horse first um, idea of just like letting them have a breather, sort of cement that basic layer of education on them um, with the second preparation before they go to the racetrack. And, um, you know, that exactly. And then you get get track riders. They're a lot happier working with the horse and, you know, everyone, um, you know, enjoys the process a lot more. There's, there's, there's not so much time pressure um, and that, that makes things, everything go a lot better. There's a lot of money wasted on, um, I, 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 you, you would see it more than I did. I, I just did it for, you know, so many people who are dabbling in racehorses, but you sound like you've sort of got it to a, a bigger business. But there's so many horses that I think, or so much money that was wasted on not educating a, a, a very well-bred horse mm. properly. Um, so then all of a sudden that very well-bred horse, the potential for it to be a good racehorse actually goes out the window purely because there was a few errors made, well, quite a few errors mm. made at the start. And, and, and um, they're cooks before they get there, I used to say. And uh, and I think it sounds good what you're doing because it sounds nice that, that, that you can sort of influence on a larger scale um, an industry 
to 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 be a bit more for the horse. Mm. So 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 it it it, it kind of gets through better in the mind and, and and body. Yeah, and you know we like um you know we lot we prefer working for those sort of people people that are gonna one one listen to you but two think about um what's best for the horse um you know not just for the business side of things but also for, for the horse's benefit too and a, a few of the trainers um you know we do work for quite involved in off the track programs and uh things like that so that's always nice but we do like breaking in all, all sorts of horses and and i like that too you know just keep keep your eye in a little bit and also with uh both of us show jumping um you know we we like breaking in warm bloods as well you know of course you see a nice young warm blood where we, we try and we might try and buy it off you um when we're breaking in we've tried to buy horses um that we've broken in for the racetrack or buy into horses um but i think as soon as they you say that they go oh no must be a good one um but yeah. i think half half the time we they're just a nice a nice horse um, I don't actually know if they're going to be fast or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just despite our experience on the track, but it is nice to see. Have um, <clears throat> you talk about? And I guess it comes down to like having a good team. You know, like you've got you got Jenny there. You know, with with us, we're the same. Like when we've got staff running well and everyone's on song. You know, it makes makes such a difference having a good team around you, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the only the only that I've, I've we haven't expanded to have a, a big team. It's only ever been Jenny and I. Um, we we like it like that. Um, I, I you know even when I was starting horses, I only start enough that I could start and work. I never never sort of made it any big. But as I say, I'm not really a business minded person. I just do mm-hmm. what what I'm comfortable with and keep doing that. Um, you know, so I mean. As as this online thing gets bigger and there's more work and and stuff, yeah, we might have to bring someone else in. But but you know, Jenny knows her stuff so well that there's no worrying about what she's doing, and she doesn't worry too much about what I'm doing as long as I don't swear too much. And I keep <laughs> oh, don't, don't fucking swear. I'll tell you, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so where where are you looking? Where are your areas? You know that you want to grow at the moment. You know yourself you're writing or are you really you're focusing on uh, the online business with jenny rejigging that well funny you say about writing i do want to get back in because um i guess um for, for for quite a lot of years i've donated myself to work and not myself i don't really have a hobby even when i finish up at the end of the week or something or end of whatever i'm not really out riding horses i'm out doing all the jobs i want to get done on the property and mm. tinkering and and things like that so I don't never I've never really worked to have hobbies. Um, I've just worked, and my hobbies have been jobs. <laughs> um, but I want to get back into some of the horses that we've got here and just start to ride to enjoy it again and play around. And just because all the years I've been training other horses and people's horses, you're learning all this stuff all the time, and you're becoming a better horse person for it, better people person, and. Um, and sometimes I want to go back and try all that, what I've learned through training other horses all the time and just play around with my own horses. And yeah, not to absolutely. do anything great and compete, no. Not just, to, just to enjoy just it. Just to muck about and um, to, just to enjoy it a bit. So, um, But 
in in a business sense, I think where I, I'm I'm because I've got kids, um, I've got to try and manage my home time better, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit too busy in the clinics that everyone wants me to go there yesterday, sort of thing. Um, so and there's only one of me, so I can, you know. Australia is a fairly big country, let alone the other countries that are saying, oh, can you come and do workshops here? And you're like, well, I, well yeah, it'd be nice, but I, I've got to spend some time at home. Um, so that's why we're trying to make our online business a little more efficient and, and more accessible so people can sort of, you know, come on board like that and I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. time pushed all the time and away all the time. Um, but as I said earlier, I'm so scared that too many, like I, when I first started training horses and doing clinics, I saw all these horses that were destroyed by horsemanship programs. Uh, and, and so I'm so scared that um, I, don't, I don't want people to misinterpret my teachings and say, oh, you know, I taught them how to do something that doesn't, that, 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 that um, you know, destroys a horse because um, they, they, they did the wrong thing for the wrong horse because they missed a few thing, key things because it was just, you know, on a video. Um, so I guess what I try and sort of make clear is when someone watches a video, it's a video of me working with this type of horse. Um, so on the online subscription, it's more so I'm working with a horse that's like this, but people that are on that subscription know that, well, you don't just do that with every horse. It just mm. might be have problems like that. You can try that. That horse that day. So yeah, but but yeah. Anyway, that's where we're at. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, you sound mate. You got to back yourself and uh, put it put it out there into the world. Absolutely. Well, um, sounds like sounds like you got a fair bit going on at your place. You know, how do you un- unwind at the end of the day? You know, after a clinic or when you get home, or are you just too busy with the kids? Well, it gets like sometimes when I get home from a clinic run, it's like, right, well, no, he's dinner and the kids, right? I, you know. Uh, so it's, it's back into another thing. I say because Jenny's that flat out trying to look after everyone. That I'll take over. I sort of take over when I get home. But unwinding time is, as I say, it's just getting out and tinkering, doing a job on the property, mm. and just having fun with the kids. You know, taking them away for the weekend or doing something different. Just simple things. Yeah. Um, sit on the veranda and drink a beer. Yeah, that's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, nothing too I'm fancy. No, nothing wrong yeah. with that. Well, um, uh, I'm very grateful for your time this evening. Just before you go, have you got a, um, any mottos or quotes you use? I know you mentioned um, that Mark Rashid quote, you know, if you, if you keep pushing your horse, it'll, it'll know where it wants you, where you want it. Um, I, think, I think the biggest motto all the way is we're here to help. Mm, I love it. We're here to help. Yeah. Well, thanks so no much for your time. Yeah. Was well, keep going, or is no matter how say that again, so no matter how I was just I saying, no matter how irate or stressed things seem or whatever, we're only just here to help. And if we step back and come in and reset and come in in a helpful way again, we'll soon figure out what went wrong and how to help the situation. And I, I tell you what, that one little motto has probably helped me become more grounded than any other fancy saying that I've heard. We're here to help. I love it. Thanks so much for your time this evening, Mark. Can't wait to talk to you again. I hope you have a good evening. No worries, Charlie. Thanks a lot. Good.